Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. It's good to be part of God's family. And uh, we've been looking over the last few weeks, uh, what are the values that make us Gateway? What are the values that make us unique as a church? What are the values that God is calling us to uphold as we embark on this next season of vision, as we head towards becoming 100 years old as a church? And I want to ask you, I'm not going to get you to raise your hands or do a pop test, a pop quiz, but I want to ask you to think about what the values that we've been exploring over the past few weeks are. If you're new with us today, it's great to have you here. We've been doing this journey over the last few weeks. You can catch up online with all of our previous sermons around our various values. But I want to encourage you to give a quick thing. I wonder if you can think about what they, if you can remember them off the top of your head. Uh, I'm going to give you the answers so that it's uh, it's super easy. So first, uh, we, uh, well, not in order, but one of the big values that we have is that we hunger after the presence of God. We hunger after the presence of God in prayer and worship. And we're going to be doing that tonight at 6 p.m. I encourage you to come back and be part of that tonight. We also teach the Bible for every day. We believe God's Word is true and gives us guidance and practical help in how to live in today's society. We raise tomorrow's leaders. And uh, Brad shared last week, and it was a fantastic Sunday last week, as we welcomed all the kids and the youth in at the end of the service and just prayed for them and prayed for us as a church that we would raise tomorrow's leaders. We also live with abundant generosity. It's, uh, It's something who we are, and we have been doing that for many, many years. And so today, as we conclude our series and look at our final value, this is something that makes our heart beat as a church. It's something that, uh, that has been part of who we are for a long time, and that is that we value the ones. We value the ones. And uh, we, uh, we, we've been talking about that for years. And if you've been part of Gateway for a little while, you'd probably remember Jason Ellsmore talking about the one cent piece and how it was phased out in 1991 because it had no longer any value in our economy. But Jesus says that everyone matters to him. And there are three stories in uh, Luke's gospel that Jesus tells us to show us how important the ones are to him. Three stories, these three stories are very well known. And and Jesus tells these stories to show how much every one matters to him. And as always, Jesus tells these stories in context. You know, he was hanging out with the religious leaders and the the Pharisees of the day, and they were looking down their nose at Jesus, saying, how dare he hang out with those people? How dare he hang out with those tax collectors, those sinners, those rebels, those unclean ones? And Jesus hears their mumbling and their grumbling, and he tells them a story. He actually tells them three stories to hammer home his point. And these stories are known as the gospel within the gospel. These three stories distill so clearly the, uh, the message, the good news that Jesus came to tell. The first of these stories, you, you probably know them, but I'm going to re- quickly rehash them anyway. The first of these stories is, is a story of a shepherd with a hundred sheep. One of those sheep goes wandering off by the by, and the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep there and goes and hunts down, searches after that sheep, that lost sheep, until he finds it. 
And then he brings it back on his shoulders and reunites it with the rest of the flock. And he creates this big party, this celebration. Because there is so much rejoicing. The shepherd calls his friends and neighbors together to rejoice that the lost sheep had been found. The next story is really similar. A woman has 10 coins and she loses one. And she flips the house upside down, looking in every nook and cranny to try and find this lost coin. And when she finally gets it, when she finally recovers it again, there is much celebration. Neighbors and friends are gathered together to celebrate. And then Jesus tells one more story about a lost son. And this young man who says to his father, basically, I wish you were dead, Dad. Can I have your money now, your inheritance now? And then he goes and departs the family. And and the Bible, love the language of the Bible sometimes, he goes and squanders it in wild living. And so he ends up really broke. And he's doing this thing that no other good Jewish boy would ever do, and that is feeding pigs. And he's so desperate that he would actually long to eat the food that he's sharing with the pigs. He finally comes to his senses and realizes, I've got to go home. Now I'm going to just go back, I'm going to confess, and I'm just going to become a servant of my father. That on his way home, the father's been looking out, the father's been expectantly waiting for him to come back. And at a long way off, before he can even say anything, the father sees him and starts running. He hitches up his robes and starts running towards his son. Something that a, an older Jewish gentleman would never do. He catches up to his son and he wraps him up in a warm embrace and welcomes him home. Brings him back in. He, he puts the, the, the robes back on his, uh, his back. He puts the family signet ring back on his finger. He has this huge party, kills the fatted calf, invites the neighborhood round, and they have a huge party to celebrate that this lost son has now been found again. These three stories are a, are a powerful description of Jesus' ministry. In each of these stories, there is much rejoicing when the lost one is found. Jesus makes his point clear and he says, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is rejoicing when one person turns back to God. There's a celebration going on in heaven when one person puts their trust in him. And this message, this message was actually countercultural to the Jewish world in its time. In a society where the Ten Commandments had been built out and grown out to over 700 rules and regulations to live by, legalism became more important than love. And the Pharisees prioritized being seen to do the right thing. And rather than actually loving their God and loving their neighbors, they were looking down their nose, looking at legalism, passing judgment and contempt for sinners. Theologian William Barclay, he's a Scottish theologian back back in the uh, early 1900s, he wrote that the strict Jews even had a saying. Not that there would be rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents, but instead there there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. The Pharisees and religious leaders looked forward not to the saving, but to the destruction of the sinner. You can see how countercultural Jesus' stories are right in this moment. He is saying with these parables that everyone matters to Jesus, sinner or saint. Everyone has value and is important. Love must triumph over legalism. And Jesus didn't just tell stories about this. He lived it out. 
You know, the Bible tells us many, many stories in the gospel where Jesus notices the one. One day he wanders off uh, through Samaria and he, he stops at a well and starts talking to this Samaritan woman, something that a Jew would never do. Jews never even ate off the same dishes that Samaritans would use. And here he is talking to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman at that. He gently, he gently challenges her about his sin, reveals to her that he is the promised Messiah. But when Jesus was surrounded by a great crowd of people walking along the shores of Galilee, suddenly he felt someone reach out and touch him. He realized that this person had reached out in faith that they would be healed from a medical condition that had been going on for years. In that moment, Jesus stops amongst all the crowd and asks, who touched me? He turns around and he ministers to that woman, encourages her. She's healed and her life is transformed. And even when he goes into a big city and there's a crowd of people wanting to see him and there's this, yeah, there's this guy, a short guy, he can't see over all the people, so he climbs a tree, Jesus looks up and notices him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Once again, the Pharisees are like, why? He's a no good, he's a tax collector. But Jesus says, no, I'm coming to your house. And after having a meal with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' life is turned around. See, the Samaritan woman matters to Jesus. The bleeding woman matters to Jesus. Zacchaeus matters to Jesus. The reality is that everyone matters to Jesus. As he interacted with these people, he called them to repentance. He healed them and he told them that he was the Messiah. And their lives were transformed when they encountered Jesus. Jesus didn't come to obliterate sinners. He came to meet with them. He came to heal them, to invest with them, to eat them, and ultimately eat with them, not eat them, that would be terrible. Invest in them, and ultimately he came to seek and save them. Everyone matters to Jesus, and he calls us, his church, to follow his example. After his death and miraculous resurrection, his last words to his followers while he was with them, Jesus gave them a mission to go out into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had told them. This is the mission that Jesus has given us as the church, to go and make disciples, to go and lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And it seems like a crazy plan that the creator of the universe would just delegate that responsibility to his church a body of people broken and, and hurting just as much as the rest of the world. But that is God's beautiful plan, that he has given us this message of reconciliation, as Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, God has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are are God's plan to reach out to those who are far from him. Followers of Jesus are called to bring light into a dark world, to share a countercultural love for all people, to proclaim the life-changing message of the gospel. And as a church, that is what makes our heart beat. It's one of the main reasons that we exist. We want to share the truth of the gospel because everyone matters to God. 
We wanna see people healed by the words of Jesus. We wanna see them set free from their sin and their suffering. We wanna see, see them redeemed by what he has done on the cross. We wanna see people saved from a Christless eternity. And the church is not a, a holy social club or a, just a cruise ship on its way to heaven. This is a military unit on the front line. And we're saving people from the clutches of the enemy, like we're reaching into their lives with the jaws of life and rescuing people into the kingdom of heaven. See, everyone needs to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. As a church, it's one of the deep-seated values that we have as a church, something that runs through our DNA, that we would value the ones. We believe everyone everywhere is valuable to God and needs to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. So how do we do that? If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus here, you are called to share his good news with others. But how do we do that? You know, Paul talks about the gift of, of an evangelist. And, uh, and, and you might have heard those stories where people just tell the stories where they, they jump on a plane and uh, they're stuck in, a, in this aluminium tube for the next 12 hours with a captive audience. And they just sit there and keep talking and talking and talking to this person until they become followers of Jesus. You might have heard those stories and you go, man, that is so not me. That is so not me. Uh, if I'm on a plane for 12 hours, I'm sleeping for 11 hours and 59 minutes. And I'm out to it. I'm a borderline extrovert, introvert. I don't, I don't want to be talking to people. My nan, though, she was, she was like that. She, I don't think she flew much, but whenever she went to a shop or sat on a bus with someone, she would talk to them about Jesus. But we're not all given that particular gift. We're not all called to be evangelists but we all are all called to be evangelistic. And so we want to explore that this morning. How do we do that? How do we reach out? How do we share with the people who are in our lives that God has called us to? Sometimes I think one of the challenges we face in sharing Jesus with people, and maybe one of the things that actually hinders us from doing it, is that we think that it's all up to us. And it's all on me. And we've got a friend who, who, de- who we desperately want to see them come to Christ, but they just seem so far away from God. My friend doesn't even acknowledge that there is a God. How will I ever get them to the point of accepting Jesus? And whether it's out of fear or, or, or out of just this sense of overwhelming, an overwhelming gap, we actually don't share. Or we actually just clam up and say, oh, it's too hard. Sometimes we can focus on that one step that step of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we forget that there's actually a whole bunch of steps that we can help people along the journey in the lead up to that. That coming to faith is a series of steps towards Jesus. And that when God calls us to value the ones that he's put in our lives, he calls us to help those people just take one more step. We might not be the ones who actually bring them to faith, but we might have helped them take a step or two or three on the journey. A professor at a Christian college in the States, at Wheaton College, uh, called James Engel was his name, and he created this, uh, this model that outlines, was his attempt at outlining the steps that someone roughly takes from having no awareness of God to putting their trust in Jesus. It was called the Engel scale. He named it after himself. How, how modest. Um, but he, he had this scale that, that begins with someone having no awareness of God or the gospel to then having contact with some Christians and investigating Christianity through to understanding the implications of the gospel and ultimately deciding to trust 
in Jesus. Now, this is not a perfect model. Discipleship is not a linear journey. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one steps back. Or sometimes you jump a whole bunch of steps ahead and you miss some steps along the way. But this scale, this model kind of gives us this picture that the journey towards Jesus is one step at a time. And I'll leave that scale up there for a little bit so that you can reflect on it. And I really love models and frameworks, but one thing I love even more than that is biblical analogies, metaphors. And so Paul uses an analogy to describe the same sort of thing that Engel was trying to describe with his scale. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, there'd been many people uh, speaking into that church and, and, and leading that church over time. Paul had been involved. There's another guy, Apollos, even Peter. A bunch of people had been getting involved. And the, the church was starting to get a little bit confused. Do we follow Paul or do we follow Apollos? And, and Paul starts writing to them and saying, hey, you follow Jesus. He says to them this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. See, as we value the ones as we share the message of Jesus with others, our role is to faithfully play the part that God has called us to in someone's journey. He may use us to walk the whole journey with someone, or he may just use us to help someone take one more step closer to him. And this morning, I want us to uh, look at how we can do that with people who are at different stages of their journey towards Christ. And I've stolen Paul's metaphor here of, uh, of, of watering and growing the plants. First of all, there's people in our life. God has put them in our life, and we know that they are a long way from God. Of course, he is close to them, but they don't even know about the gospel, or they're resistant to it. They might not even acknowledge the existence of God. They've probably never walked through the doors of the church and, and they are resistant or even antagonistic towards the gospel. Maybe they're carrying hurt or anger from the past and it can seem that they are just not interested in faith at all. And their life is a little bit like soil. There doesn't seem to be any prospect of faith being grown in them. No, it's just a bunch of soil. There's no green shoots, no nothing. We all know people like that in our lives, don't we? Yet these ones matter to Jesus. And he calls us to faithfully represent Christ to them. And so God calls us to sow into their lives. He encourages us to sow seeds of faith where we can. While it might be long, hard work, God calls us to keep sowing, to keep showing up, to keep loving in their lives. And sometimes it can be really hard to see how they might be ready to take a step towards God. But we have to be prepared and be practical. We have to be prepared to respond when a question comes, potentially even out of the blue. And we have to be ready to show the practical love of Christ to them. I've got a friend who would be firmly in this camp. My mate Craig, he and I have been friends for 14 years and uh, we, uh, we started uh, out uh, our friendship at a school where we were both working. 
And it just so happened we were around the same age and we had a heart for, for the kids that were hurting. I was a chaplain and Craig was a teacher. And so we started to, uh, to, to run a program for, for kids uh, in the school. And we actually uh, ended up taking these kids on hikes and canoe trips and all sorts of stuff. But Craig is a staunch atheist. He, uh, we've joked a number of times, or he's joked with me, I take it very seriously, but he's joked with me, he says, uh, Tim, I'll believe in God when you believe in science. And he, I believe in science, but he still, after 14 years, he still doesn't have faith in Jesus. But I believe that God is calling me to continue to sow seeds in his life. And we catch up every now and then, and, and uh, <clears throat> a lot less, unfortunately, now than we used to. But every time we catch up, and every time we used to do these walks, there would inevitably be one question out of the blue. One question out of the blue. I mean, Craig knew that I was a Christ follower. He knew that I was a chaplain. He knew that I was a safe place to talk to. And so I always made sure that I was as prepared as I could for his questions. We'd be hiking on the, the track with the, the bunch of boys, and, and Craig would just ask a random question. So what does the church think about this? Or you as a Christian, what do you believe about that? And it actually forced me to be prepared. And there are times when I had to answer him, Craig, I don't have the answer to that question. Let me get back to you. But I was always prepared just to be able to answer the reason for my faith, as Peter talks about. And I was also wanting to make sure to be really practical. You know, Craig was a practical guy, and I believe for people in this uh, stage of their faith development, they need practical things to help them see the big picture of God. I was always trying to go out of my way to encourage and to, to show love and to uplift and affirm Craig because that wasn't commonplace in our world. Now, I tried to be practical. I gave him a book on apologetics once because I knew he was a reader and gave him something practical. And yeah, he, he may have read it, he may not have read it, but he's not the kind of guy to come to church. I've invited him to church heaps of times. He's only ever come once. But I'm always prepared and trying to be practical in sowing seeds into his life. And it just so happens we've organized to catch up in the school holidays and see how life is going. Because I know that God, God cares for the ones. Craig matters to Jesus. And so he matters to me. Jesus shared about different soils. He told a parable where the, 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 the seeds were being sown and on some areas they fell on rocky ground. And the birds came and snatched up the seed, like the evil one stealing away seed of faith. In others, the, 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 the seed started to grow, but as the green shoots came up, the, the weeds surrounded it. The sun bore down and killed off the plant. You know, and the heat and the pressures of this world come along. But there was other soil, other soil where the seeds started to grow and started to bloom forth. And sometimes the seeds of the gospel do find good soil. You know, an inquisitive, receptive heart. And that person starts taking steps towards God. I reckon Craig's taken a half step in 14 years. But I'm believing that he's going to be taking steps. And one day, his faith is going to be something that can be cultivated. You know, the, the people who are here in this, in this stage of the journey, they're not yet followers of Jesus, but they're asking questions. They show an interest in faith. They've got a positive attitude towards the gospel. 
and they're wrestling with the implications of it. And when we're called to these ones, God invites us to cultivate the faith that is growing in them. Maybe they were far from Jesus, but over time, you've seen them take steps towards him. Or maybe God has brought you into their life at just the right time when they are starting to ask these questions, and it's God's perfect timing. But Christ calls us as his ambassadors to cultivate their walk towards him. This describes my mate Richie really well. I met Richie a couple of years ago when he'd just badly broken his leg. And unlike a lot of people I meet when I tell them I'm a pastor, he didn't recoil and stop talking to me. It's a bit of an occupational hazard I have. But he actually started to ask some questions about the church. Our boys started playing footy together, and eventually when his leg healed, Richie just randomly started turning up to the gym that I was also working out at, and we started to build a really good friendship. Over the next weeks and months, I I discovered that Richie used to be part of a church when he was younger, but some significant life events had caused him to kind of question and, and walk away, take a couple of steps away from Jesus. But God is at work in Richie's life. There's actually heaps of Christians in his life right now. And and I see him once again wrestling with what the gospel means for he and his family. And I know that God, I believe that God is calling me to play a role in cultivating that faith because Richie and his family matter to Jesus. And see, when we cultivate a plant, we, we do what we can to make sure the soil is productive. We give it plenty of water, we put it out in the sun, we try and take away all the weeds and the things that might attack it. And in a similar way, you can cultivate the journey of faith in someone else through investment and invitation. You can invest time into their lives, spending time with them, encouraging them, helping them find answers to the questions that they're asking. My son and Richie's son now play footy all the time together. We actually run the boys' footy club now, so we're spending a lot of time together. And our faith, our conversations often turn to footy and faith. It's important to be investing the time into the people that God has given us. But it's also important to put the invitation out there as well. Research from the McCrindle organization found just a couple of years ago that uh, if, if, if people were asked by a close friend or family member, three out of 10 would very likely or definitely likely say yes to the invitation to come to a church event. That's 30% of the people in your life, if they're a friend or a family member, if you offer to invite them to church, whether online or in person, 30% will say yes. We're very likely or definitely likely to say yes to that. We need to keep putting the invitation out there for people whose faith is just starting to grow. I know footy season's pretty crazy at the moment for Richie and I, but when it finishes, I'm going to invite him along to Alpha. And Alpha is a fantastic seven-week journey where people can ask and answer and wrestle with the big questions of life and faith. And invite people like Richie to church and some of the church events you know, last year I invited him to Carol's and he and his family came. They loved it so much they came a couple of nights later. I was really stoked and it sparked off a whole round of more conversations. We need to invest and invite in the people who God is calling us to cultivate their faith. And there are many people in our lives like Richie 
They know something spiritual is missing in their lives. They are seeking answers. And, we, and they need us not to be silent. We need to be there for them, investing into them, inviting them to go deeper in their search for Jesus. And then there are people who are right, right for God, God's harvest. God is about to reap a harvest in their lives. You know, they've been walking this journey and maybe it's been a quick journey, maybe it's been a short journey, but they are at the point where they just need us to ask them a question. They are so ready to accept Jesus that when we talk to them about Jesus, they say, where have you been all my life? There's a gentleman who I'd love to uh, share his story today by the name of Jack. And I've asked each of these guys if I can share their story today. They've all said yes. And Jack was going to come and share his story here. But sadly, some circumstances have arisen. He's unable to do that today. But he wrote out what he was going to share and he's uh, given me permission to, uh, to share it. So Jack, if you're joining us online today, here's your story, mate. I know it's really important to you. And we're really blessed that uh, you're able to share that in this way with people today. As I read Jack's story, just listen to the various steps that he's taken on his journey over the years. During my teen years, faith was considered worse than crime. Instead, I was taught to chase the desires of this world. But whenever I got caught up in trouble from school or the police and my parents, I would pray for help. I was unsure of where that help would come from, and I was hoping for it to work. A couple of years ago, when my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, became a Christian, I thought she was nuts. We had many conversations about God, and I wrestled with the concept of faith. I was unsure of the possibilities of faith in a physical world. But as I wrestled with God, my five-year drug habit stopped overnight. During one of my all-time lows where I could have potentially lost my girlfriend, I had no other option but to pray. When I prayed, I felt peace over my circumstances and wisdom from God to navigate the issues well and to save the relationship. From then on, I was more open to faith and learning about who God was, but I was still not sold. As I continued to build friendship with believers and was invited along to Alpha, I started to notice that I was seeing the world and relating to others differently. It was like my eyes were opened to both the beauty and the destruction in the world. One night at church, the service sparked a conversation between my girlfriend and I. We talked about what it was to be a Christian, and I said, that's me. That night, Mel helped me to repent and commit my life to Jesus, and I haven't looked back since. I had the privilege of taking Jack and Mel's wedding late last year. It was a beautiful day, and they're both fairly new Christians, but both of them stood up unashamedly before their family and friends, some of whom were still very far from God, and said, we believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world. We want Jesus to be the center of our marriage. God has done a miraculous work in their life. And all it took at that particular night and that particular moment was one question. And God was ready to reap a harvest. And I'm super excited about what he's going to do in their lives in the future. See, Craig matters to Jesus. Richie matters to Jesus. And Jack matters to Jesus. Everyone 
matters to Jesus. Our world needs him. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can truly bring hope. He's the only one who can bring peace in the midst of turmoil. He's the only one who can bring comfort in the face of loneliness and eternal salvation despite our sin. Jesus is the hope of the world. And we, the church, are his plan to reach those who are far from God. Everyone can share Jesus with someone. See, lost people matter to Jesus and lost people need to matter to us. The world needs the church of Jesus to stand. Our city, our neighbourhood, even our world, it needs us to value the ones and faithfully share the gospel with them. We want to join in with all of heaven and celebrate when one person repents and turns toward Jesus, when one person puts their trust in Him. We want to see that baptistry full of people declaring their newfound faith. We want to see whole families redeemed. We want to see future generations changed because of decisions made today. We want to see people wherever they're at in the journey of faith take a step towards Jesus and to ultimately put their trust in Him. I want to challenge you today. Maybe you're joining us today and you know that it's actually time to make that decision in your life. You need to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today. Maybe you've been coming along to church for a little while now and God has been working in your life, but today, the 20th of March, 2022, today is your day. I want to invite you to make that decision today. See, we've been talking this morning about how Jesus came for the once, how He came to seek and save the lost. And He didn't just find them, He gave His life for them. See, Jesus, the one through whom all of heaven and earth was created, He left the comfort of His Father's presence in heaven and He stepped down into this dark and broken world for you. And you know the world is broken because you experience it every day. You see the effects of brokenness in your world. You see the sin in your workplace, your family. You even see it in yourself. But Jesus came to address that. See, we can never meet God's perfect standard on our own. Even on our best days, we sin and fall short of God's glory. And if we were ever to be made right with God, we needed a Saviour. And that's why Jesus came to earth to take away our sins. He lived the perfect life and then died to pay the penalty of our sins. He took all of the sins of humanity on the cross. He did that so that we could be right with God. But it didn't end there. On the third day, Jesus rose again. He won victory over sin, over the grave. He overcame the evil one and He triumphantly returned once more, resurrected from the tomb. And He did it all for you. So I want to ask you this morning, do you want to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour of your life? I want to invite everybody here just to uh, close their eyes and bow their heads. I want to ask you this morning, do you want to say yes to Jesus? Do you want to say yes to His forgiveness? Yes to His grace? Yes to His promise of eternal life with Him? If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you right now all across this room and online as well to raise your hand. Just to stick your hand up and say, yes, Jesus, now is the time. I want to put my trust in you as Lord and Saviour. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again for me. And today I want to accept you into my life. 
I want to trust you, Lord, as my, uh, my Saviour and my King. Just all across this space, I can see those hands. That's awesome there, guys. You can put them down. That's great. Is there anyone else here this morning who'd like to just uh, pray a prayer with me, who'd just like to say yes to Jesus? A couple of people have said yes online. That's fantastic as well. Just want to give you an opportunity. Is that you this morning? Do you want to put your trust in Jesus? Make today your day. Just simply put your hand up in the air. I'd love to pray with you and love to pray for you, if that's you. Awesome. You can put your hand down. That's brilliant. Thank you. Fantastic. Oh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? If you stuck your hand up, if you click that button in the chat, would you pray after me? A really simple prayer that just says, sorry, thank you, and please to God. Just, uh, you can pray that prayer after me. Jesus, I am sorry. I am sorry for the sins that I've committed and I'm sorry for the times I've rebelled against you. But today I say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for conquering the grave for me. Today I trust you as my Lord and Saviour. I put my trust in you, the risen Christ, the one who died and rose again for me. Jesus, would you help me? Would you help me to walk in your footsteps? Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell in me. I pray, Lord God, that I would follow you all the days of my life. Jesus' mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, do we want to give a round of applause to the people who stuck up their hand and clicked that button online? Well done. All of heaven is rejoicing over you right now. All of heaven is celebrating because of what you have decided to do. And we would love to encourage you. We'd love to get some gifts into your hands. So a, uh, a pack that will help you on the journey. Some resources that will help you take some next steps. If you're online, make yourself known to us today. Uh, jump in the prayer with someone. They would love to connect with you and pray with you. If you stuck your hand up here or you wanted to stick your hand up, come and have a chat with us at the welcome desk on the way out today. We'd love to put some resources in your hand and help you take those next steps. But the reality is that God calls each and every one of us to value the ones that He has put in our life. To value the Craigs, to value the Richies, to value the Jacks. This morning, I want to ask us all, I want to challenge us all. Who is it that we would want to pray for, that we would want to see take steps of faith? Who are the people, if, 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 if we to say everyone matters to Jesus, whose name would you put in there? Is it a family member? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a workmate? Is it someone who's been a friend for many, many years and you've been praying them faith for them faithfully? Because that's one of the most important things that we can do in this entire journey. God is the one who does the growing. And we are called to invest in the lives of the people He has put in our place, in our, in our world. But we're also called to pray for them. And so this morning, we wanna pray for the ones. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. We're about to sing this song that, that is a great song for the season that talks about the hope of the gospel. 
But as we do that, I, I know that there are people out here who've been praying for the ones for a long time. And there are people praying for the Craigs of this world. And you keep sowing those seeds and it looks like nothing is happening. But those seeds have to go deep into the ground. They actually have to die to be able to flourish. They actually have to, 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 to go through a, a process in the ground before green shoots start to appear. It can be a long process. And you've been praying for them for a long time. And today we would wanna stand with you. Stand with you in prayer. Stand with you in faith. Stand with you so that you would persevere and not give up. That we would see God, that we would seek God and ask that He would do the growing. This morning, we would love to stand with you. And so if you're here this morning, you've got someone on your heart, someone who you are desperately crying out to for, for God to do the growing. You wanna see them come to faith. I'd love to encourage you to stream down the front right now. Come down the front. We'd love to stand with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd just love to be with you and bring those people to God. Come wherever you're at this morning, just come down the front. If you're in the, you know, watching us online, just tap that person's name into the chat or maybe your, your, the relationship with them in the chat. We would love to pray with you and pray for you as you journey with that person. Come on this morning, we're gonna sing this song together and, and as we begin, let's just, let's just pray for these people that God has put in our heart. This first verse, we're gonna sing it. Let's, uh, as we do that, let's pray. Let's pray bold prayers of faith that God will do the growing in people's lives wherever they're at. Come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.